Today's guest on the Keenan Yoga podcast is Shravana or Kataki Varma. I'm glad they got that right. Um, so Shravana has always had an interest in the spiritual. Indeed, when she was young, she was ex- she experienced a clairvoyancy on a regular basis that led to her parents initiating her at their family temple, Karma Cure, where she developed her own spiritual practice um, and continued this from a very early age. In fact, a really interesting part of our conversation. However. Not fully satisfied with this, she developed an interest in Buddhism, actually, where she planned for a while to become a nun, a Buddhist nun, studying then instead for a master's in Buddhism, which she completed. Um, life changed course, and one thing led to the next. She ended up in the financial IT industry, which led her to work in China, and then finally to the US. So she's currently a lecturer at Harvard Divinity School um, and at the University of North Carolina in Wilmington. The speciality is Tantra, and specifically Tantra in the female body, which has been um, slightly uh, confrontational for many, um, and has led to extensive fieldwork in India, in certain temples where they still practice the most literal form of this Tantra uh, that our work focuses on. So this is a really, really unique and interesting interview that's uh, very much our first uh, for Keenan Yoga, an eye-opening discussion for a subject which is often brushed under the carpet. Um, and Shravana, Shravana's work is a really cutting edge and her confidence, her, I suppose her, her willingness to approach and, and her bravery and honesty in this subject that has been taboo for many years is quite remarkable. So she's emerging as a leading light in the field of, uh, this subject of modern yoga. And, uh, we shall certainly be hearing more of her in the future. Uh, and for now, welcome Shravana to the Keenan Yoga podcast. It's such an honor to have you. Right, so today's guest is Shravana Borkataki Varma. Is that roughly close enough? <laughs> close, enough. <laughs> close enough, close enough. All right, well, we'll leave it there, right? Okay. Um, so, Shravana is uh, currently um, a professor at Harvard University and um, she's particularly um, interested uh, and works a lot on Tantra and uh, the female body in Tantra as well. It's, I think, a speciality, right? Female iterations of Tantra. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, Kundalini specifically. I suppose we'll touch on Tantra, I assume, but um, modern modern ideas of Kundalini. Uh, Kundalini yoga is obviously currently quite uh, quite in vogue in the West and, uh, and Shravana is actually been in the field a great deal, actually studied at source in these practices, in their locale, in their tradition in India. So what are the differences between what we're doing in the West and uh, what Kundalini, you know, ideas and iterations of Kundalini, um, maybe traditionally, let's say that's a loaded word, but let's say, uh, you know, more, more, <laughs> more textual, textually. Um, so before going down that path, um, welcome, uh, Shravana, and you just want to just but briefly, uh, for, because you've been mute so far, you've been completely mute. <laughs> tell us, tell, you know, tell us a, bit, a little bit how you arrived in the US and, and your story, your background, because you do have an. Although we talked a little bit before, you do have a really interesting story, mm. um, and uh, I'd like to just hear a, a few minutes uh, that story again. Yeah. Thank you, first of all, Adam, for inviting me to your wonderful podcast. Um, it's it's such a it's, it's really a beautiful platform to reach out to so many people uh, across the globe. So thank you, first of all. Um, uh, Adam, uh, as, I was, as I was telling you, and I, I always laugh, you know, I'm like, what's in my story? But I guess there is a story. Everyone has a story. Um, so I'm going to do it quickly because I don't want to take all the time talking about my story because I'm so tired of telling my own story. Uh, well, yeah, retell it. Retell it in a different way. Retell it in a different way. I, I, yeah. I it, wish yeah. I was such a wonderful storyteller. I'm not. I'm pretty boring. But anyway, here it is. Um, so from India, my name, as you know, is Shravana Borkotoki Varma. Uh, there you go, Adam. Next time, okay, there will okay. be a Next quiz time. for you Got and it. my name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm from a Assam, India. Assam is a uh, a state in the northeastern part of India. So I was born there. uh, And uh, my family uh, comes from there. We are, um, so we, we, you know, like any other child, uh, born, raised the usual way in an Indian middle class family. Um, I think what was 
possibly now when I look back uh, in my 40s, um, there was there was this element of my uh, life as a child, which I think was kind of very, is not normal for everybody. Uh, but I did not realize that for the longest period of time of my time. Um, I had what I have now come to have understood, maybe what would be understood as a clairvoyance, clairaudience uh, skills. Mm. And no, that's not normal. That's the <laughs> it's not, right? Do you think that's I not normal? Think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but, but growing up, I thought that's normal. And, and I think right. there is some beauty to that. I think there's some beauty to being raised by parents. And I have a wonderful older sister who bullied me like any older sister would, um, you know. Uh, saying that, oh, like you know, like, like I was treated like any other child, which was which was wonderful and and such a blessing. At the same time, I was never ridiculed. I was never um, asked to not um, speak what came to me, or not uh, not you know not think through these things. I was an extremely introverted child. I had like my own little world. You know, now when I look at some of the kids who say they have a friend. Uh, who is an invisible friend? I had many invisible <laughs> friends. Okay, like many. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 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 that was a blessing to have uh, to have been raised uh, by parents uh, in school. I don't recall a single point of time in my life where anybody told me, "Oh no, 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 that's not what you say," or "Oh," or call me names because I had some of this going on. Uh, so one thing led to other while I led a very, what I would call a, a normal childhood, whatever is normal in today's day and age. Um, my uh, parents also, when I was eight, uh, got me initiated uh, into uh, a temple uh, tradition. This was a, uh, the tradition in Kamakya. Kamakya is a Shakti Peet, uh, again, in Assam, uh, considered to be uh, a very, very powerful Shakti Peet. And we may talk about it a little what, bit. What's, yeah, what's, what, just for our listenership, we might not be, know yes. about What's the Shakti Peet? So Shakti, in this case, is goddess, and uh, Peet is a seat. So there are, it is understood that across the world, there are 51 different seats of uh, the goddess that has enormous amounts of power. And so Kamakya is known for its fertility power. It is the yoni of the goddess that fell there. And so it's considered to be very, very powerful when it comes to fertility. Um, so, so I was initiated without any fanfare. Um, there, are, there is a story where uh, uh, my, 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 my baba, that's my dad, who uh, passed away last year, um, he used to say the story where uh, we went through the initiation, and I was eight. I don't, I don't remember anything. And so he uh, he said how we came back, and um, when we were apparently leaving, the priest had asked my father to give me a certain uh, nut and a certain uh, leaf to eat, uh, and he did. He was like, ah. She's too young. I'm not going to give her give her this. And he went to bed. So apparently, like sometime in the wee hours of the morning, something like three o'clock or something, I woke up. I woke up, Baba, and I said, "Where is where is the nut? Where is the leaf?" And my dad freaked out. He was like, "What the hell is happening here?" Uh, because there was no way I could have known that that was that instruction was given to my dad because it was so little, right? So I think that was the moment when uh, when my dad was like, okay, like... He started taking you seriously. Maybe. Better watch out for this one. Yeah, yeah. watch out for this one. <laughs> yeah, Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was, you know, that, that was such a great thing because I could do nothing wrong and my sister could do nothing yeah. right, right? Yeah. So I had the most, um, you know, glorious teenage years. I was allowed to do anything I wanted. He was probably petrified of you, wasn't he? You clairvoyant and, you know, telling him that you knew all the instructions. He's probably terrified. I, I don't think my dad was terrified of me, or at least that's not what I want to believe. Um, I don't know. I yeah, wish, I wish he was here today. I would have gone back after this podcast yeah. and asked him, but he's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but no, I think I think it was such a blessing because I pretty much did anything I wanted to do. I study, I never wanted to study the sciences. And in India, if you were a good student and if you had what is called as a first class or for, you know a, a, a good grades in your uh, in your high school, you take sciences. And if you were really really bad, you take humanities. And really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's the way it's gone now. And, what a oh shame. yeah, oh my god, yeah, always. Yeah. Uh, because you see, you could only become a lawyer, engineer, or a doctor if you really, uh, or if you could not do anything, then become a teacher. <laughs> so you can see where I am. <laughs> but I remember this was uh, my high school was in New Delhi, and I remember the headmistress. Um, called me and because she had seen my form where I had put in humanities courses for my high school, uh, you know, graduate, I mean, for my high school concentration. And she's the one, I still remember, beautiful lady. And she's, she's, she was sitting in her headmistress chair on the table and she said, do what you have to do. Do not listen to the society. Don't listen to people who will say, oh, you took humanities because you are a bad student or you're not intelligent enough. She said, and so, you know, I've always had people like that. Always. It's been my biggest gift in life throughout my entire life. I've always had people who just come into my life and tell me, don't change. Do what you're supposed to do. Bloody lucky. Very, very, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very. Yeah. Adam, um, I cannot tell you as I've grown older how, how much I've come to appreciate my star alignments and planet alignments. Yeah. Um, mm. So anyway, so life went on. Um, I got my uh, what is called as Abhishekan, um, translated as kind of coronation. But, you know, when you're going through the Tantra initiation, you go through a series of training. It's kind of like a progressive uh, what I call it, like elementary school, middle school, high school kind of a deal. I don't know how you want to explain that. Uh, but I did, uh, that was around the age just before I turned 15. As you were going through those, you would do, I didn't know that you actually, I thought you had the initiation and you just left it, but you were actually doing stuff all the time. You I, had a, I, I right. was always... You carried on. I carried on because I, right. I did not know anything better. And remember, I thought everybody does it. I thought my sister did it, my cousins did it, my friends did it, because for me, it was such a normal thing to do. There, there was nothing... It, it, I know it is very strange, but you have, we have to also remember these were times of no Facebook. These were times of no social yeah, media, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, so life was, you know, it was almost like I lived in my own world with my own uh, unseen beings. And I projected that in some way to the, to the seen world, right? And so for me, it was like, oh, like every... I didn't even question anything. So I continued on that path. I then wanted to become a nun. And uh, so I uh, I went ahead and I um, uh, I, I started training in, uh, in the Buddhist uh, space because, you know, that was one space where I thought I could become a nun. Um, well, you couldn't, you couldn't do it in the, in the Shakti one uh, that you were in. I <laughs> okay, I have to tell you a little secret here. So there are um, gurus, women gurus, as you can, uh, in the Shakti, in the Shakta Tantra space. Yeah. But I didn't find them cool enough <laughs> at that time. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, they look kind of boring. The, the Buddhist nuns looked more cool. They had like shaved hair. They're and, right, okay. Come on, I was 16, okay? And, and, and I was not pursuing the usual stuff that kids were pursuing. So I wanted to be the cool nun. So I, just, I thought, oh, uh, why not? Fair enough. Yeah. 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 I like the colors, Buddhist colors, the nice colors. reds, with ochres. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, 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 before we go too divergent, what did the training look like then? Because I didn't, you know, I don't think you've spoken so much about. About your background, I mean, you mentioned later on in another podcast right. I listened to that you had a crisis of faith later on in. Yeah. But so, and then I should have joined two and two and thought you had a, a spiritual practice going on all the time as you were going on your career and doing different things. But what did your 
spiritual practice kind of look like? And what were you taught from the age eight till 16 or, you know? I've never heard you say explain that. You've not heard uh, me say that because... I've not heard that. No. <laughs> You've not heard that because I don't think I speak about that in public. Um, it's... Uh, as, <laughs> so, uh, no, I know. Uh, but I'm just going to give a little bit of a glimpse. I, I know I'm not going to share a lot of my uh, practice also because I think that's where... That's where the sacred private space comes up. But essentially uh, what, what I can share, and I have shared this uh, in classrooms, so I don't see why I can't share in a podcast. Um, so uh, what happens in this is that you're given, first you're given a, 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 what is called as a bija mantra, and it, uh, you know, a seed mantra, uh, and you're given an ishtadevi or ishtadeva um, and uh, depending on your, what I, what I would I say this, it's it's kind of like a BFF, you know, like what what these days kids call it, best friend forever. Okay, uh, so it has to have a personality match where um, you don't want to be petrified of your of your cherished uh, deva. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to be madly in love with them. It needs you need to have that kind of an objective balance where you should be able to turn around and tell your Ishta Devi that that's bullshit. Just because you are a goddess doesn't mean you've got it right. So you know, I, I think I know this better than you. Um, at the same time. You know, uh, sometimes when you slack, the goddess gives you one tight slap and says, you know, now I'm the goddess, get back on track. So it's kind of a relationship that you cultivate. And I think what happens in this path, and I say this to all the students who have ever spoken to me, and I would love to say this here, is please do not take on a cherished god or a goddess or a guru just because somebody says that one is right for you do you know it needs to feel right and we know it we know when it feels right you know um the divine blueprint as i say is embedded in us we just have to learn to read it trust it and you know kind of communicate with it so uh, sorry go ahead I was just kind of intrigued. I mean, on the rudimentary level, can you take on any goddess or is it only certain ones within a certain lineage? Or are you able to take on, yeah, like, okay. I mean, obviously it's going to be a goddess, right? So it can't be a male. No, so it's no, kind it of excluding a, a whole bunch. It can be a man. Oh, okay, you can. can so a man. It can be a third gender. Uh, now, here's the answer to your question, can it be, can you take any goddess or any, any divine being? Any god. Yeah, any divine yeah. being, right? Um, right? Now, the traditional answer is no. It is assigned by, from a tradition. Uh, my answer is no, no. We get to choose anyone because as long as I don't, so I kind of have broken away a little bit from my tradition in terms of how, how I've come to understand my own practice uh, and my and the way I kind of teach people. My thing is, you the individual gets to define who is sacred. It can be a tree. It can be a plant. It can be an animal. It can, because animal spirits are as as divine and as sacred. And if you look at Hindu mythology, there's always been animals and nature. It can be a river. It can be a god. It can be a goddess. It can be a guru. So I am saying where I have kind of slightly shifted from the traditional way of seeing things is. It's BFF. And if it is BFF, I get to cultivate that relationship. Yes, I may begin with, because I have to begin somewhere. So sure, begin in, within the tradition. Um, a lot of people like to delve with Kali, but we all know there are 12 different forms of Kali. Which form is she you want to engage with? And then as we engage, as we move forward, things will shift internally. And when that shift happens within this body, we will ask more questions. We will seek for more. We will pivot towards more. And it's 
perfectly fine. It's not like you're cheating. It's not like you've dumped your divine. You're progressing. So, you know, you kind of can have two um, two divine, two Ishtadevis or two Ishtadevas at the same time. It's perfectly fine. So that's kind of how I have uh, understood um, so going back to your previous question, so how does the practice look like? Uh, so the practice is essentially begins with the mantra, uh, and then you're given progressively uh, specific instructions on how to engage with the divine, how to, um, you know, fine tune uh, your phone line communication with the uh, with the meta uh, with the with the macrocosm and so uh, so there are lots of meditative practices there are um, bodily practices um, like certain bandhas uh, the way you breathe uh, a certain way to activate the subtle energy the subtle body uh, the subtle energy in the subtle body um, uh, so that comes up there are certain um, yantra practice and in the in the buddhist world bandala practices that come up uh, so what happened was as i went through life i kind of have integrated if you ask me today uh, integrated shakta tantra from kamakya assam and have integrated uh, Nyingma or Vajrayana traditions kind of together. And that is today my practice. And I don't see any conflict whatsoever with that kind of an integration because it feels right in my heart. It feels right in my physical body. It feels right in my spiritual body. So I don't see why not. So many. I mean, there's so many kind of paths we can go from here. The, 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 Nyingma, the Nyingma. I assume you learned. I mean, you learned in India. I mean, you're actually were quite kind of close to that area of Buddhism, right? In the Tibetan right. Buddhism up there, where you where you're from, right? But you didn't learn it there. Or? I so I I studied Buddhist studies in and I I I kind of studied more from the Theravada lens. Uh, so my my studies in in. Um, in India, back in the 19, uh, 1990s, was more uh, on the lens of Theravada and uh, and Vinaya and so forth. Um, but I think Nyingma kind of came when I started studying, when I became a scholar of Hindu Tantra, I s- discovered the Nyingma tradition and, and it made perfect sense because there were texts, there were commentaries, there were teachers that I could speak to that could explain to me something that was maybe told to me at eight years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, 15 years old. Um, So the analogy I use here is, you know, I was like the person who is running on a treadmill and you keep running on a treadmill, you start at three miles an hour, then you do four, then you do five, then you do six, then you do seven, but you, you kind of keep doing it because it becomes a habit and there is kind of almost like an physical need, a mental need, an adrenal need, whatever, you know, physiological stuff that happens. But at some point I paused and my scholarship made me pause. And it's when I paused, I started asking all kinds of questions and the answers were not in my Kamakya community anymore because that was a very different world. What I was reading was very different worlds. So I had to kind of bring two very, very different worlds together and make meaning for myself first in order to be able to teach um, mm, mm. what I learned. All right. Well, I definitely want to go on to that and 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 how and how things changed when you did pause. But let's just quickly speed up then and, and do like a, a whistle stop tour through how you got from India from um, you know your school in Delhi to where you are today in, in, in Harvard um, <laughs> in five five minutes five minutes. Okay, you are, I'm going to do it in go. two minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, no, so, so, um, so via, via China and banking. Via China and banking. So I yeah, did, yeah, I yeah, did Buddhism. Yeah. 
And then I, I decided not to uh, don the cloth. Uh, and once you decide not to don the cloth, there was this sudden otherness, like, who are you? Then you become nobody, which was a whole different problem. And maybe we can do a whole different conversation on that. Uh, but I was that classic meme that you see where a monk goes for an interview and they say, do you have any other skills other than meditation? So I was that person. Um, but then I, again, Right people came. We should have, didn't give the, the Buddhist answer. I can sit. What did you say? I can sit. I can. I can read and I can fast or something like that. Right? You have just said that. Uh, but that would not give yeah, you a right. job and yeah. a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but uh, but um, essentially, again, right people came to my life at the right time. I got a job where I started my career with a nonprofit and then moved into General Electric. So my first um, uh, corporate job was. Uh, uh, at that time, college uh, General Electric International Services, now college GenPact, I think. And so I started with that. Uh, and then I thought that's what I'm going to do uh, with the financial services and then went to Wipro, uh, which is an IT company, and then Standard Chartered Bank, which is a UK bank. So I kind of thought that's what I'm going to do. I got myself an MBA. I was like, okay, you know, life goes on. Um, and it was wonderful. Uh, honestly, Adam, again, no complaints. Very, very blessed. Um, I saw lots of success. Uh, at a very early age. Uh, from there, I moved, uh, my family and I, we moved to China. It was still the corporate space that took us to China. Uh, but it was in China that I realized that that was not necessarily, banking in China was a very different beast. And uh, I did not know what I was doing anymore. So I, again, right people came to my life and I got to uh, teach at Dalian University, which is uh, um, IT software, um, computer um, engineering university. Uh, so I kind of taught there for two and a half years. From there, we came to the United States. Um, Again, what I, were you teaching there in the university? You weren't teaching philosophy or no, uh, no, Indian no, 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 religion. No, no, no. no, no, no that no, is not okay. even allowed. Um, I was teaching. Oh, no, actually. Yeah, true. so I was actually yeah. working with the students that were graduating. So the, uh, in Dalian at that time, this was 2005, uh, Dalian uh, was becoming the next Silicon Valley of China kind of a situation. So there were all these multinational companies that had come there. There was a, a, a a very uh, you know steady stream of students that were coming out of a new soft university and Dalian University so they were coming out of that um, but there was this big skill gap between training uh, between studying at the university and working with the multinational company so I was kind of bridging that gap and getting them to understand what it means to uh, study in a multinational company uh, and, and also teach English whatever uh, that Again, so, so it was wonderful. It was a great break. Um, I came, uh, we then came here uh, to the United States in 2007. Uh, and one, because, you know, we had to wait for, I had to wait for paperwork um, to, to, to happen. Uh, and also certain health situations came up, which made me pause. And it was when I paused is when I, you know, returned to religion. And that's when my study of religion started at Rice University. That's when I did my PhD. Mm -hmm. uh, I graduated in... Carolina? Hmm? Is it Carolina? No, Rice. Houston. Where was that? Houston. Houston, So yeah, oh, I studied, right. uh, I thought I'd study um, Buddhism, but then I kind of pivoted and start, I, and my, my dissertation is pretty much an autoethnography of sorts. I, I really had to figure out what, what, what ha was happening to me, what had happened to me. And so I was, again, very lucky to have been allowed to do a PhD, which is kind of like, go figure out your own life. <laughs> so I was like, huh, not bad. Um, so th that's where Kundalini came up. My dissertation was on Kundalini Yoga, Rising in Women's Bodies today. And so I did. Have you been practicing? Sorry, sorry. No. I was okay. going to say, have you been practicing? Have you been practicing all along during the corporate life? Had you can like maintained yes. the practice, or was there some totally. kind of you had? Oh okay, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. There was right, right, right. So, you, for, so you're still super into it all the time oh, throughout. Oh, because I, right. I, I do not know how to exist without it. 
I did not, I, I do not know how to live without my practice. Um, I say my mantra, I don't even know how many thousands of times in a day. It's like I breathe and the mantra goes, right? There's nothing that I do that is outside of that realm, uh, except for when I'm sleeping, of course, unless I'm engaged with liminal dreaming, that's a different intentional engagement, which I, which I often uh, practice, but that's a different story, right? Um, so I've graduated in 2016, and then I've taught in many universities, uh, so to correct, I'm not a professor at Harvard University. People will uh, come after me by claiming that claim. Uh, uh, no, my, sorry. I know. No, that's okay. My, uh, visiting. My, no, you're a visiting uh, professor, aren't you? Right. Visiting. And now I'm Can we a, say that? I'm a, yes. A visiting lecturer. Yes. And now I'm yeah, a fellow. Okay. It keeps changing. What's in a title? We have the same thing in yoga. Anyway. We have the same thing in yoga. Yeah, yeah. You can't call people yeah, certified. So, so it's like I'm, because I'm authorized, three, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, for the last three years, I've been with uh, in the Harvard Divinity School. I taught for uh, six courses already uh, as the lecturer of Hindu traditions, and I'm going to return uh, in the fall uh, as a fellow uh, in the Center for Study for World Religion. Um, and my parent or my home. University is University of Houston. So that's kind of, so I'm currently kind of, or not currently, I've been on leave from University of Houston for a while now, yeah. Sequestered. So okay, right. Okay, well, we won't, we won't get into the politics of that, but um, right, that's the story. So without further ado, what about this Kundalini then? I mean, uh, you, you mentioned also perhaps that you had this crisis of spirituality that you've been involved in something and then and then you went to the field and, and you know, you're, you know, you're very frank and as much as, you know, you really aren't simply an academic, you're, you're really a practitioner first and foremost, you know, super involved with, with, uh, with women practicing in the field. And at that point, I think you had a bit of a crisis and reassessed things. Maybe, maybe first just mention that because I'm very intrigued to, to hear how that, how that went. Okay, I love. I would love to tell these stories, Adam. But then don't come back and tell me that we ran out of time and we never spoke about Kundalini. <laughs> That's uh, we're going to speak about Kundalini. We're going to. Uh, we'll okay. get to Kundalini. We'll get to Kundalini. Um, we've got. We've got twenty minutes. Yeah. See, uh, half time yeah, yeah. flies. But um, yeah, yeah. no. Um, so what happened really is, as I said, you know, I. I was just a practitioner. I never read uh, work on my tradition written by uh, by a scholar. So when I started reading uh, books like, uh, you know, written by David Gordon White, Hugh Urban, um, Lorelai Bernarke, it was very, and I, I don't have the right expression but it was very confusing it was it was like my brain was going through such an intense kind of a confusion because I was like what are they even talking about you know one or I'm like but I don't feel that way or three wait where are these people or four are we even talking about the same spaces, right? I mean, it was a, it was an extremely, extremely confusing time. But I think uh, with confusion, you know, comes clarity, right? It is only when you ask certain questions. So I think when I went back into the field, and obviously since 2012, for the last decade, I've been to, into the field almost every year, several times in a year, sometimes, um, and it helps because my family is there, so, you know, it kind of uh, is different. Um, and it's a certain temple you go to, isn't it? Yes, so certain, I, I yeah, pretty yeah. much go to Kamakya for sure. Uh, I also yeah. um, uh, do a lot of work in Tara Peet, which is in West Bengal. Uh, and, and then all the, you know, kind of regional temples, because I, I love temples, Adam. I mean, you take me to a temple any day, I will go. I'm like, I love temples. But anyway, um, 
temples where there are female practitioners. I think that's very important. Uh, otherwise, I find it very boring and very, very phallocentric. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, please. I, uh, you know, so anyway. Um, Is it unusual? Is it unusual to have female practitioners? I mean, you mentioned um, Talapita is uh, very specific yes. that, the, yes. that there's Tantra and it's, yes. it's open, it's on yes. show, and there are female. But that's kind of unusual, right? I mean, whenever I've been to temples, it's generally male Brahmins. Really. Right. Very unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For them to be in public space, a lot of times they're there, they're there pretty much everywhere, but they're more so in like private spaces or really, really you need to have a lot of access to know uh, or to get access to them. Uh, so uh, what happened was, uh, as I started reading more of the scholarship, um, I I kind of suddenly it was it was that moment where your you know your entire life gets questioned, and 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 I didn't question. I didn't. I felt let down. I felt like uh, I was cheated by my Ishtadevi. I was cheated by my uh, guru. And I don't mean cheated as in they did anything bad to me. But I was like, why did you not show me all the sides of the space? Or why did you uh, why did you hide? Or why did you not give me the faculty to, uh, to, to see these things? Um, a decade later, I think, because I was not ready, I think that was not the right time. I think things happen when the time is right. Maybe I was not emotionally ready. Maybe I was not spiritually ready. But anyway, when when I got to see um, some of the, uh, the, 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 the blurry spaces, the gray spaces that I now only talk about, um, I, one, I realized how lucky I was, Adam, because I was always seen to have been born with a certain kind of prediction in my horoscope. I was seen as the guru or that I will become the guru. And so I was never messed with. I was never, um, I was never, you know, yeah, no abuse ever happened to me. That's a fact of life. Also, I had parents who kind of introduced me to that space but did not donate me to a temple right I was always the child I always lived at home I lived as much of a normal life as possible um so I, I realized one how blessed I was too by this time and I've spoken about this um I was also mother of a daughter so you know suddenly as as a mother as a woman as a scholar as a practitioner it was so difficult to bring these things together and 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 what is my responsibility? What is my role? What, what am I supposed to uh, do or not do? Um, so mm. that is that was so. What you're, yeah. Mm. Go ahead. Yeah. So essentially, a little bit of disillusion there that you saw things, maybe aspects of abuse that maybe yeah. were hard to yeah to square. Yeah. And it's not just a simple yeah. disillusionment. I really mm. lost my religion at that time. And mm, my mm, advisor mm. says this to all his PhD students, and I say to all my students, uh, that you will re lose your religion. There would be a moment of crisis if you're going to study religion. There, there has to be. Um, and, and, and what do you do with it, right? I mean, how do you come out of it? So that's kind of what happened. And then... Um, and, and I think at the same time, I've come to now finally understand what I'm supposed to do with it. And I'm hoping to, to achieve that. So that's where I am right now. Right. So we're hoping to talk about Kundalini a little bit. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's use that as a, as a byway to, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know so much about Kundalini. I know some, you know, a little bit about kundalini classes in the west i mean what you gave me to read about kundalini that you've written is very different to to those um classes that maybe we know in the west i mean you know do you want to just lay that territory down as as to to what you've recognized it involves in in india sure first of all i don't want to make it into a geographic thing um, just because I don't want to say Kundalini in India is different from Kundalini in the West. I think that's that's that won't be an accurate statement. Um, so first of all, I think before we even get into Kundalini, what we have to understand is where does 
where does this energy reside? And, you know, when we talk about anahata, yes, of course, we say it's the heart chakra, right? Uh, we, uh, Vishuddha, we say throat chakra, but that does not mean a, there is a chakra that resides inside the heart organ. Uh, and I think it's very important to specify that because I've had so many people recently, I guess the pandemic, I don't know what has come up, uh, where people come up and say, oh, I had a surgery and now I can't feel my muladhara or my muladhara is not there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There is nothing to do with your uterus and, and your swadhisthana and muladhara, you know. So there is a front of the body and there is the back of the body. In between the front and back, I call I call it the parchment paper thickness space. Because that's where the subtle energy, the subtle, you know, the magic happens. So kundalini... Um, Yes, in the modern West, um, does get defined in this very serpent narrative. Um, but serpents are there in Indian uh, literature, but most of them are Nagas, and Nagas are male serpent. Kundalini is a female serpent. So that's, first of all, one definition. But is it a serpent? That's the next question to ask. Go ahead. And so just to, just to backtrack for a second, yeah. the chakras, they're still related to points in the anatomical points in the spine. You're still suggesting that they are going up in ascendance, but just not tracked to specific organs, right? So they're Correct. not going to literally, yeah, but there's still there's still places in the body you say, well, you know, Svadhisthana does lie at the base. Correct. Yeah, right? Yeah, Correct. we're and moving up. Correct. Yeah. And, and, just and, not. Yeah, and, okay. and I think there is merit to explaining them as nerve plexus, right? Right, yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. so so there, there is something. So no matter what, if I tap here, I will feel, uh, you know, very, very, like even if I tap like this, I, I can feel like strong pain. If I tap here, I can feel it. You know, it hurts. I, I mean, if I tap here, it hurts. So there are spaces and the more we keep these channels open just a gentle touch can also trigger off a whole opening so yes it's there in the body but we explain it in the context of the organs or 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 spaces because we have to work with something here right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so right. uh, so kundalini is not first of all what i want to really state here my understanding, again, please, that does not mean someone else is wrong. Uh, and I, I have to say, this is just my limited understanding. Number one, Kundalini is not a serpent energy. Some experience it in a serpentine fashion, but there are, there are lots of people who experience it in a non-serpentine fashion. So, in the field, I've met so many people who ridicule or reject somebody who says, I felt the kundalini in my heart. They almost like say, oh, no, 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 that's not kundalini. How do you know it's not kundalini? How do we know it's, it is? So if we look at some of the... Um, some of the Shava texts, so for example, um, you know, we have Tantra Sadbhava, uh, where uh, in this particular text, it's about the 7th, 8th century Shava texts like uh, Siddha Yogeshwari Mata or Tantra Sadbhava, where Kundalini is coiled in the heart. So a lot of the field interviews I have done, they say like one of the beautiful, most beautiful description was it's a, it's, she, she describes, this is her Tantra uh, woman guru, and she describes it as a jyoti. She says, it's like a light in your heart. And when it is activated, it's like you get goosebumps or chills, but not outside the body. These are now inside, every cell inside your body is, is kind of vibrating with energy. And it's an opening. So... So That's a radically different way to look at it, but I mean, it actually makes sense because if you think of the, you know, I mean, think of Jesus, right? I mean, you know, he was never talking about Kundalini rising from the base of his spine. If you look at the the, the uh, images of Jesus, it was the glowing heart, wasn't it? 
And it was, was, but and, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm scared of commenting on Jesus Christ because I'm not. Well, I would say you would have had some Kundalini experience. Okay, no, you sure. are saying that, Adam. No. I am not. I'm saying that. I'm saying that. No, you don't have to comment. I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus was probably involved with Kundalini. Sure, maybe. Absolutely. I don't know. The, uh, I, I, I don't know him. I've not cultivated a relationship with him, so I don't know what's going on with him. Um, but. Um, but essentially, I think what happens is for a lot of people, Kundalini can rise from the Muladhara in a very, very serpentine fashion and goes all the way up into the crown. Yes, can happen. And when we looked at Shakchakra and Arupana and texts from there on, the Theosophical Society, the transmissions that came out of that, and Gopi Krishna's work and so forth, from there what we find is kind of a, a standardized format for what Kundalini is and how Kundalini rises and how Kundalini, uh, what happens when Kundalini rises spontaneously, XYZ. And then we have the Kundalini SOS, the, the spiritual emergencies. Okay, that happens. I'm not for one saying that does not happen, but it also does not go to say that Kundalini cannot rise from the heart or Kundalini cannot rise from the throat or Kundalini cannot rise from uh, the uh, the agya, the crown, uh, the, the, the third eye. And when it rises from different places, what I've come to understand from my research is one, the initial experience and the response is kind of a little different. And when it rises from the Muladhara and Swadhisthana, it is definitely a lot more. Because we don't have a register for it, we experience and explain it in a sexual energy form. So it does feel very orgasmic in nature. It does feel uh, you know, like an activation of sexual fluids because we don't know how else to explain it. But if it's rising from the heart, it could be this sudden oneness, this sudden experience of, of, of you know, that, that moment. And again, so difficult to explain in words, but the sudden moment of, of oneness where you, the, the, there is no binary. There is this kind of union of sorts, even if it happens for a fraction of a second, even if it happens for one hour, even if it happens for 30 minutes, whatever, right? Um, so, so it depends. It really depends on, on where it rises and how you experience it immediately is going to be different. And, and because we found the serpentine narrative in the West to become like the standard format, and obviously most people in the West were writing about this in the 1960s and 70s, that became the popular narrative. That became the pop culture of sorts. That, that does not mean other, it does not happen in other situations and other experiences don't happen. Was it? Yeah, I mean, is it male centric? I mean, from um, you know the serpent power, we have that right. You don't no. think it's a particularly male male narrative no, no. as opposed to something else? No, right. So it's across the board um, it, that this idea of the serpent power rising up is just you know um, so, that would so be my I, first question. I, I yeah. can see why it comes as a male narrative because I mean, look at all these texts. Even in the seventh, eighth century, they were written by men for men, practitioners and men. People talking about it mostly were men. But come on, look at the West and look at the number of women who have experienced Kundalini. So are we now going to say the Western women Kundalini experiences are not good enough or they, they don't have the right to experience? Of course not. I'm a woman. Uh, but at the same time, another thing that I would like to state here before we move to the next question is once the Kundalini has risen, either spontaneously or intentionally, something changes. And once that changes, you never go back to a state pre-Kundalini. And that is why there is this narrative saying, be careful if you're pursuing Kundalini, we don't know where it will rise. We don't know how you will respond. And once you have experienced Kundalini, there is no turning back. There is yeah. no turning back. Mm -mm -mm. Mm -mm. So I do. Yeah, I mean, it, 
yeah, watch out. Um, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> watch out what you wish for. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Gopi Krishna is obviously famous for, for his work on it. He wrote a hell of a lot on, on this experience. Anyone else who, who you've read um, who, who writes on this? Um, and it also with the, with the other, I mean, the main kind of aspect that I read from Gopi Krishna's work is this, this very intense heating or drying experience, basically, that you have to kind of cope with, right? It's, it, you know, yes. And if you can kind of cope with that and weather it out, then, then it's all good. But it's a, it's a very painful kind of yes. hot and dry kind of experience right um, yeah. yes um so painful yes absolutely um drying i don't know i think drying comes from the fact that there's so much of heat that is generated so i think it's again a way of explaining kind of what is happening inside the body um i would say gyanadev's gyaneshwari is the most beautiful text um, that I have read. I, uh, this is, I think, 11th or 12th century. I'm very bad with dates, but something somewhere around that time. Um, and Catherine Kinley has done a fabulous job of translating this text. Um, I would say is my go-to, my most favorite Kundalini description uh, that comes up. Uh, having said that, the, the, the reason why I refrain from that, this drying uh, analogy is because, one, it goes back to where it has risen. If it has risen in your heart, it's a very different mechanism it's going to work versus if it has risen in your muladhara. And drying is not like cracking. It's like, um, it's like, uh, like phoenix rising. Correct, right? So, so you need to go through this kind of a bodily transformation, elemental transformation, tattva cleansing, and it is painful. No two opinions about it. It is not pretty. It is very disillusioning. It is very confusing. Um, you do sometimes feel like you've kind of lost it a little up here, as I say, on the top floors. Uh, it does feel like that sometimes. But you come back. I suppose what everyone's going to be wanting to know is, has this happened to you? Yes. Right. Okay. Just want to make that. <laughs> Do you have that experience? Right. So, well, I mean, and, and the, is this the aim of all tantric practices? No. That you're trying to no. No. Right. So there's no. a clear right. No. So and, and again, um, there is no everybody. Okay. So. In my, now, again, this will come down to how do you define Tantra, right? I mean, well, it is so different for everyone. <laughs> That's another subject, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not going to know because that will, that will take away a lot of time. But the yeah, way yeah. I define Tantra, uh, the, the objective is Jivanamukti, liberation in this lifetime. And what I mean by that is moving away from binary existence to a, uh, from a uh, binary existence to a non-binary existence. Even if it is this minuscule uh, uh, movement, even if it is a tiny little movement of how I see a man and a woman, what is the definition of being masculine and feminine? Even if I can move that needle point, I've made progress. So it's, it's and, and I'm not saying a politically correct acceptance. It is a true non binary existence and we all know how hard it is to achieve that not at least I am a very flawed being I've always said it I am not getting moksha much to the dismal of my teachers who keep saying you're not supposed to say that but no I'm not I'm a very flawed being and I love shoes so given that I love shoes and and I, I I'm a flawed being fine but can I move the needle from point a to point a two if I can do that in a true sense of the way, I have achieved something. And that is what the practice of Tantra does. Mm, mm, and go and right. And go back to Kundalini. How is the experience obviously the experience that you're talking about is very different to the current presentation of Kundalini that we're finding. Mm -hmm. Lots we don't want to draw polarities here, but you know, in general society. Yeah. I mean what 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 are, what is their intention? Um, and how does that differ to, to what you're 
what you're seeing in traditional texts? First of all, who am I to talk about their intentions? So if I, I will answer your question, but I hesitate and, and take a deep sigh because it can come across as... Um, so some, some pursue it because they are curious. Uh, some pursue it because they really want to pursue it. Some pursue it because uh, an experience happened in their life which was so intense that they're trying to find meaning and the meaning-making has taken them to Kundalini. And then there are some who are truly in that whole practice space and saying, okay, this is my, I'm going to use the Kundalini yoga practice to move from a non-binary existence, from a binary existence to a non-binary existence. So I would say it's a very, uh, it's, it's, it's a spectrum. And I think every individual gets to know why they are doing it. I suppose if I was to qualify that question and re-ask it in a different way, should we be doing this? I mean, you know, there's only one, I mean, essentially from what you've been saying, there's only one, you know, idea of Kundalini is an experience. It's a physical experience and it's an intense experience. You say it's a life-changing experience. I've yes. not experienced Kundalini. Um, you know, like that doesn't seem to be something to mess around with to do in a regular yoga class, right? We should, you know, as I said before, in a kind of glib, you know, flippant way, like, right. you, you know, be careful what you, be yeah. careful what you wish for. I mean, you know, are yeah. we, are we, you know, are we really, do we really want that? You know, I mean, it's, as many people have said, I mean, I, I mean, someone like Yuji Krishnamurti, I don't know whether you've read Yuji yeah. Krishnamurti, he, in his book, he goes through an experience, right? It sounds very similar to that after he's actually had a lecture with Krishnamurti, Jida Krishnamurti, he comes out of that and then he has this kind of meltdown experience in his book, right? Um, and he says like, oh, it's that, you know, I wouldn't have wished it on my worst enemy. Yeah. You know, he, he, you know, he, he kind of said, well, you know, don't, you know, you don't want this, you know, don't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want it to. I yeah. would say... Anything around the Tantra path, it's about intention. Don't do it because you think it's a cool thing to do. Don't do it if you think you just want to try it and see how it goes. Because what if it, something happens in the first minute? What if something gets triggered? We can't control that. And there is no turning back. There is no turning back. Um, so I would definitely forewarn people. I would say do it intentionally. Uh, do it if you have the time and the energy and the space for it. Um, if spontaneously it has risen and you were not pursuing it, then, then go ahead and kind of get the training required so that you can work with it intentionally and you keep you know you always have the control of that uh what is it called you know like like cooking range has that you know you can turn on the heat and yeah throw, yeah oh, like, yeah, a no, like yeah, a yeah like a thermostat yeah like a thermostat yeah transistor transistor we yeah. must step it up or have, step it down yeah correct we must yeah. have the thermostat in our hands and and that requires practice so let's not do this for the sake of it because it's a cool thing to do and not all out-of-body experience or not all you know experiences that felt radical is kundalini either that's also important right but that's another yeah. problem yeah. anything that happens out of the ordinary is now kundalini yeah, yeah, yeah. in the modern way yeah. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. why? Like, what made you think it is Kundalini? Yeah. But I guess it happens. Yeah. That's true, it is true. Yeah, any experience that's not kind of normal is now Kundalini, it seems. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, and but seriously, for people that have had this experience, and I mean, for many people, if you read online, there's a lot online, right? You mentioned, I think there is a website or something called Kundalini SOS or yes. something like that for people yes. dealing with, uh, dealing with the, I mean, you know, yeah. from my understanding, dealing with the experiences of Kundalini and the fallout that goes with that. You mentioned, you know, kind of crazy making kind of propensity of this right and and trying to kind of res re resolve or reconcile yourself to living in the world and having had such an intense experience i mean um what any advice you'd give to, for people that have you know or are going through you know something along you know that does feel overwhelmingly like this i think um my advice would be a few number one would be 
allow yourself, even if it is five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, allow, you know, give yourself permission and let the energy know. It's kind of office hours. I think it really helps to have office hours and to tell the energy, hey, you know, I have a lot going on. It's not possible for me to engage with you 24, 365. Um, and so do office hours. Once you acknowledge the energy, it's amazing. Maybe it's placebo. I don't know. But it is amazing how the energy will also be kind to you. So that's number one. Two, um, you may want to uh, find teachers just because somebody says, uh, they teach Kundalini does not mean they're the right teachers for you. Do your due diligence, meet them, speak to them. And it's okay to start with someone and then say, no, 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 something is not working out here. So do not, you know, listen to your gut, listen to your, you know, your, your internal voice. Three, read about it. Four, what is the purpose? Why are you seeking it? If it has risen spontaneously, great. But now why are you seeking it? I think that is a very important factor because it, there has to be a reason. And if there is, if you don't have a reason, then engage with it only for about five minutes a day. Give it its due respect, bow to it and say, I will come to it when I'm ready. So I would just give those would be mm, my advice. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point because I think people assume that maybe the highest goal of yoga is Kundalini, whereas that's not necessarily the case, right? It's one path of a number of yeah. a number of different object objectives right. within yoga. I mean, right. it's not all like you simply have to get that, and that's the kind of highest goal. Because I think that's often you know the case that people believe now. Well, you know, use yoga practice, and that's the highest kind of aim is to get this experience, which will then be enlightening and, you know, I'll then be an enlightened being, but, you know, right, right. you're not suggesting that that's the, that's no. the case. No, and that's yeah. the problem, right. right, with our yoga space. We seem to have these um, kind of medals that we are seeking, and that is exactly against what yoga tells us to do. You know, there is no, there is no certification. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying yes, no. you need yoga certification. <laughs> yeah. So I don't mean I don't, I'm, I'm debunking yoga certification. But what I'm saying is yeah. spiritual path is not about, oh, I have this degree to show or that degree to show, right? I mean, come on, why are we doing it? Who, If you're doing it to prove something to somebody, I think then we're, that's not the objective. That kind of loses the meaning, right? I mean, I don't know. It's It's... We bloody hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I think we could go on, but as we've got a bit, little bit of Kundalini under our belt, so and probably a lot, a lot of uh, background history, which is actually really interesting. Um, I mean, and also, I mean, your work in the field. Um, can anyone actually? Uh, have, we've published a few things now that yes. that are. Uh, that people can read? Well, where can they go and find out? So I have a website now. Uh, it's called Shravana, my first name, dot me, M-E. Uh, and as it's getting published, I, I make everything available to uh, to people. I've It took me a lot of time, Adam, to write uh, my story. It was not easy. And so now I'm finally writing and publishing. And then comes the academic publishing, which is kind of a little slow. Uh, but it's happening and you can read on my website, uh, shravna.me. Yeah. yeah, I think you have to, um, everyone go and read on the website because I mean what you're, what you're kind of writing about is, is pretty um, honest and, you know, it's not in the public field generally, right? I mean, oh, thank you. It's, um, you know, that's it's, my, yeah, that's my uh, goal, you know. Uh, I've been given all these blessings. Now it's time to... Um, you know, live it also publicly. So far, it's been more private. Yes. Yeah. And let's say it's basically talking about women, female practitioners of Tantra and yes. and most and most physically in, in, the, in the physical sexual iterations of Tantra. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. it is honest mm -hmm. and it is, uh, yeah, it is it's very different and, and unusual in academia currently, let's say, right? So you know, kind of kind of swimming against the tide and bravely so i think you know and uh, i think it, as you've spoken on other podcasts it does take a lot of bravery to speak out in the way that you are a lot on these subjects now so it does and it also is scary uh you know it's not easy um but one day at a time one day at a time <laughs> yeah and you know what well, the thing is you're carving the way for many people who will then come out and 
you know, and do it, you know, and gradually that will become less of a, yeah, so you're blazing that trail and it's very interesting her work. So please go and, and have a look and, and uh, you know, you'll enjoy it very much. Thank you, Shravana, for, Thank I'm not going to attempt to say your full name again. I'll just leave, stick to Shravana and we're, we're all safe there. Um, and it's been a wonderful little chat with you and, and a really, really f- fun uh, and academic, but really, really kind of fun um, character uh, to engage with as well. So it's been wonderful to have Thank you on. You. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. All right. Bye.